something that we've been talking about. You know, we've been talking about sanctification. We've been talking about, uh, last week we talked about, or Sunday night we talked about earnestness in prayer and how this ought to be a desire of ours to pray. Amen. Um, we talked a few weeks before that about sanctification, how sanctification isn't something that we, you know, uh, maybe it's for Becca and it's not for Mike and, you know, it might be for Tristan but not for Becky, you know, and that's just not what the Bible teaches us, amen? Sanctification is for all believers. Paul told the Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification, Amen. So God's will is our sanctification. Tonight I'm going to preach a message entitled, Nothing is Hidden. Nothing Hidden. There is nothing hidden from God's sight. You see, so often, especially in our walk of sanctification and our war with sin, our flesh makes excuses for our actions. Can I get an Amen. Our flesh makes excuses for our actions because our flesh loves to feed itself and does not want to feed the spiritual side of you, okay? The spiritual man is at war with the fleshly man, amen? If you read Romans 7, you're going to understand that there's a war going on, right? We're told in... Uh, what is it, Romans 6? Let's go to Romans 6 just for a second. This has absolutely nothing to do with my message tonight. We're going to start in Luke 18, or Luke 8, excuse me. But we're going to go to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 real quick, okay? Just to lay a groundwork for what we're talking about. It says, what then shall we say? What, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. And I'm going to give you the King James answer. God forbid. Amen. Now what does the ESV say Mike? By no means. Okay. So as Christians are we to continue in sin? God forbid. By no means. Amen. But so often, especially in our walk of sanctification, you know, as long as our husband doesn't know about it, as long as our wife doesn't know about it, as long as, you know, our, our boss doesn't know about it, as long as our kids don't find out about it, we're going to hold on to that secret sin, okay? But before we leave tonight, you're going to understand that secret sin is only secret between human beings. Because there's nothing hidden from God's sight. There's no such thing as secret sin to God. God sees everything. You know, it's an interesting, but when we, when human beings choose, even, even those who are saved, born again, and following Christ... That's why Paul says give no occasion to sin or don't give the devil a foothold. Can I get an amen? Right? He tells us to flee the youthful lust of the flesh. Why? Because of the war that's going on in Romans 7. 
There's a war in my flesh that if I entertain sin, if I try to, to uh, walk in piety and, and hypocrisy while holding on to a secret sin, what I'm actually doing is giving the enemy a foothold. I'm feeding my flesh. I'm feeding the feeding the lust of my flesh. And we're told unequivocally in the New Testament not to do that. Amen. But why do people do it anyway? Well, there's several things that go into this, but I've narrowed it down tonight to this understanding. Number one, because God is a spirit and we cannot see him with our own two eyes. Our flesh tricks us and says, well, you know, nobody's looking, right? Nobody sees you. Nobody heard that. Nobody knows. The problem is God knows. God sees all things. Not only does God see all things, God is everywhere all at once. And you cannot escape from being in God's presence. Amen. And this idea never comes to play when we want to sin. We put this idea as far away from us as we can because it's very uncomfortable if I was to run up to somebody right in the middle of their sin and say, hey, don't you know God is standing right here, right now, watching you? And we always ask those questions, and we asked those questions last night, didn't we? Well, if you wouldn't say it if Jesus was standing right here, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't say it if, you, if Jesus was right here, if you wouldn't do it if Jesus was right here, but the problem is Jesus is right here. Jesus is already here. He already knows what you're doing. He already sees your sin. He already sees your heart. Not only does he see your heart and your sin, but he's here. Wherever two or more gathered in my name. How about we go to the Psalms and not go to... No, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But we're very certain that one of these days God is going to bring all sin to light. Amen? And that's where we're going to start tonight. We're going to start with God in the future bringing all sin to light. Okay? Let's go to Luke, or yeah, Luke chapter 8. We're going to go to Luke chapter 8, verse 17. And this phrase is something that Jesus says over and over and over and over. So I want you tonight, and those watching on Facebook, this message is for you. It's for everyone who calls on the name of God who believes in Jesus Christ, who is a Christian, born-again, Bible-believing Christian. You need to hear this because the truth of the matter is this. Verse 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be made known and come abroad. Amen? Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Verse 2. Jesus speaking again. For there is nothing covered 
that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. I'm going to read another one. Luke chapter 16, verse 15. Luke 16 and 15. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in God's sight. Why? Because God sees all of it. Amen? But he's telling them the things that they're saying are right. God says, God knoweth your hearts. And it's an abomination to him. You see, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's telling them your outward piety doesn't mean anything. You can do all the things that look right and sound right and God still knows that your heart is an abomination. Jesus stood looking at the Jews, God's people, and told them that they did not believe. Knew that they would reject the Messiah. Go to Matthew 10, verse 26. Matthew 10, verse 26. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak ye in the light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye from the housetop. Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Do you understand how this is connected? He's telling them there's nothing that's going to be hidden that will not be made manifest. Therefore, don't fear those who can kill your body, but fear him who can kill your soul and body in hell. Why? Because God's not fooled by your pretenses. God's not, God wasn't fooled by the Pharisees' pretenses. And that's what he's saying to his disciples. He's telling them, don't fear those who can kill your body only. But fear him who can kill your body and soul in hell. Why was he saying this? Because he's trying to get them to understand not to behave like the Pharisees were behaving. Even goes on a little farther. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, are ye not more valuable than many sparrows? Whosoever, thou shalt, uh, whosoever therefore, shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, 
him I also will deny before my Father, which is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Amen? Why? Because he's wanting people to really understand that it's not, it's not just outward signs of holiness. It's just not outward signs of, of, of uh, oh, I, I don't do this, and nobody ever sees me sin, and nobody ever, you know, you can't, you can't show me my sin. Why? Because I'm hiding it, and you don't know about it. But you can't hide it from God. And every secret thing will be made manifest. And every hidden thing will be revealed. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse, I think verse 25, I think. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. Paul writing to Timothy says some men's sins are openly beforehand going before to judgment and some men they follow after likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand and they that are otherwise cannot be hidden now what's he saying he says there's coming a sometimes people's sins are very outwardly evident right but there's coming a day when you'll see all of their sins be made manifest, right? This is a future understanding of future judgment, right? This is the great white throne judgment. This is the final judgment. This is when God judges the living and the dead everywhere of all sin. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Now, I don't care about your eschatology. The reality is there is a final judgment, and we haven't gotten there yet, right? Can we, every, every single school of eschatological thought agrees on that. There's coming a judgment in the future where God will judge all sin everywhere. Amen? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. This one's very interesting, and I threw it in here uh, it may be that you have to chew on it a minute but I'm threw it in here anyway okay 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or chapter 4 excuse me verse 5 <clears throat> therefore judge nothing before time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart and then shall every man have praise of God. Final judgment. Final. This is God judging sin, bringing all sin to light. Yours, mine, and every single man, woman, and child who's ever lived on planet Earth. All sin will be judged. Period. Amen? So, just from the... What, one, two, three, four, five, six different scripture references that I've given right now. We see that God has a final judgment of all things, and all things will be revealed. But what about right now? Because that's the question we're talking about, especially with sanctification, right? Sanctification, we're talking about what is, where's God at while I'm sinning right now, right? I can't escape God. God's everywhere, right? 
If God's everywhere, then obviously God sees everything. Can I get an amen? This is absolutely biblical, and we're going to go through it. But what about right now? Are anything hidden from God right now? No. These verses are not talking about things that are hidden for God. These things are talking, he's talking about this judgment that he's talking about, talking about hidden things. He's not talking about things that are hidden from himself. He's talking about things you don't know about other people. He's talking about these Pharisees' sins, okay? Some men's sins are really evident, like that tax collector or, or, the, or the, uh, uh, the, the, the whore down the street or the, the, the uh, uh, you know, the guy that steals or guy that murders. All those sins are evident, right? There's stuff that we can see right now. But those aren't only the sins that are going to keep you from heaven. Because all sin is transgression against God. And all sin is cosmic treason. So I don't have to necessarily kill someone with my bare hands. But I can hate my brother without cause all of my life. Never repent, never turn to Christ, never go to him. And I'll split hell wide open. Nobody... Maybe nobody ever even knows that I have that sin I'm carrying around. Nobody knows that that thing has kept me from really trusting Christ. When we understand that it's not just the outward appearance of sin that has to go, it's the inward appearance of sin that has to go. It's that inward inclination towards sin that must be killed, that must be subdued. That's why we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Amen? That's why we're called to mortify the deeds of the flesh. He doesn't say it's a good idea, something that you might want to do. We can flip over to Galatians 3 and read it again because I think we may sometimes need a refresher course in understanding. Is it Galatians or Colossians? They're mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's what I thought. Colossians 3. Okay. Turn to Colossians 3 and we're going to read this. <clears throat> if ye then be risen with Christ, and we talked about this when we talked about sanctification, right? We talked about this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your affections, the desires of your heart, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, the deeds of the flesh. And he talks about outward sins. I want you to get this. He talks about outward sins first. Watch. Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affections, evil conspicuousness, covetousness, idolatry, which for which uh, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in which ye walked some time when you lived in them, but now put off also anger, wrath, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge 
renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. This is very important that we understand. Christ and this sanctification process is not something that we should take lightly. Therefore, sin. There's two things going on when we think we cover sin. Or God doesn't see my sin. Or God's turning away from my sin. Okay? And, or we're not willing to give up sin. There's two things going on. Okay? And I'm going to let you know what I believe they are. Number one, a false idea of who God is. Our doctrine of God is very shallow. We don't understand the holiness of God. We don't understand God's view of sin. And that's our other issue, is we don't understand the doctrine of sin and what it did to us. If we truly believed what the Bible says about sin, we would turn from it, we would run from it, we would mortify it within ourselves, not because, oh, we got some kind of power to do so, but because God enabled us in Christ to do it. He's given us everything we need in Christ to mortify the flesh. Amen? And for Christians to make excuse for sin tells me several things. Number one, the doctrine of God in their mind is not God is all-seeing and all-knowing and omnipresent and omniscient, all-knowing. Amen? Because when they sin, they lie to their self and their flesh. And their flesh is like, well, nobody's looking. Well, and because you can't see God, you don't think God's looking. But this is revealing a shallowness in our understanding of who God is. Because we need a refresher course to understand that this same God that we can't see still sees us. Can I just give you a couple examples right off the top of my head? And I'm going to show you. Father God, Old Testament, you know, God, Yahweh, God speaking to his prophet. And then I'm going to show you Jesus Christ and him, omniscience working through him. And then I'm going to show you the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, omniscience working through him. This God that's invisible, this God that we seemingly act as if our sin is not ever present before his face. Sends Nathan to David. He tells him the story. He said, David, there was this shepherd who went over and stole another man's sheep and then killed the man. And David was livid. Who is this man? Tell me I will bring him to justice. Nathan said, thou art the man. Because you have taken Uriah, the Hittite's wife, and you have killed Uriah. God saw everything. Nothing was hidden from God. David may have thought, well, I'm in the palace and nobody else can see. Bathsheba might well have been in there going, oh, nobody knows I'm here. But God knew. 
And it was important enough to God that he sent his prophet to rebuke the king and say, hey, don't you remember who it is you serve? And that's how fast Christians forget who God is. Jesus in the New Testament show you just a little bit of Jesus' omniscience. You remember when Jesus spent the day with two of his two disciples, John the Baptist, and then he, they left. And when he came into Galilee, they, they came and found him. Philip went and found Nathaniel and brought Nathaniel to Christ. And Jesus, when he saw Nathaniel, what did he say? He said, Behold! A true son of Israel in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel said, how is it that you know my name? And how is it you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip brought you to me, I saw you under the fig tree. Why? Because there's nothing hidden from God's sight. And even Christ, John 2 knew the heart of every man did not need to be told what was in a man because he knew the heart of every man we're going to go through some of them verses we're going to get there my last my last reference for god's omniscience and you can see it in the holy ghost and this it could be a testament if you will to the uh to the godhead and the truth of the godhead that they're all god Ananias and Sapphira sold their house and made a plan to lie to the church, lie to Peter, and, and pretend that they gave everything that they got when they sold the house, but they only really gave part of it. Now, everybody's like, oh, they lied. That, they did lie, but the problem is they didn't have to give everything. There's no prerequisite that they had to sell their house and give every bit of the proceeds to the church. It was their money. They could have done what they wanted to with their money. All they had to do was be truthful. Now, the main thing that you can take from this is that God takes lying very seriously. But the other thing that you must take from it is this. Ananias and Sapphira come in there to gave their money and pretended like they gave it all, but the Holy Ghost told Peter that they were lying, that they had lied to him. Peter questioned Ananias, and he said, Ananias, have you truly given everything? And he's, he's given an opportunity right then to tell the truth and not lie, but he lied. And the Holy Ghost struck him dead. Peter said, Ananias, you have not lied unto men, or in other words, you haven't lied to me, but unto God. And the Holy Spirit struck Ananias dead. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was not fooled by Ananias' lie. Why? Because he saw right through it. Amen? So often in our Christian lives, we get enticed by this sin or that sin or we get enticed by our emotions to sin you know getting angry and believing we're righteous in our indignation yet we're not we're screaming at everybody in our house we're acting a fool come on somebody 
Anger and wrath are in this list, is it not? Of the list of deeds to mortify, wrath and anger are on the list. Yet that's our view of sin. It's, it's just, it was just a little sin. No, it's cosmic treason. Why? Because of who we're sinning against. Amen? Remember when Joseph was in, was in uh, Potiphar's house and, and Potiphar's wife came to him and said, Hey, will you lay with me? And he said, Look, everything in my master's house has been given to me except you. And I will not sin against God by taking you. You see, most of us would have been like, Sin against God? He's sinning against, uh, uh, what's his wife? What, Potiphar. You're sinning against Potiphar. That's his wife. Yes, but all sin ultimately is an affront to God. All sin is treason against God. And Joseph knew that if he did that, it wasn't just Potiphar he was sinning against. It was God. You see, our understanding of sin is, oh, I'm not hurting my son, or I'm not hurting my wife, or I'm not hurting my brother. Or, it's not about who you're hurting only. Okay, yes, it would have been a sin against Potiphar. Sure it would have. But ultimately, it's sin against God. And we, we refuse to look at it that way because then our consciences are pricked. We refuse to think about God being omniscient and omnipresent because it pricks our conscience to think that God is standing right there in the midst of my sin. Watching me commit sin. Let's read some verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Now I want to read this out of the ESV just because it has a Phrase the way they phrase it in here, I think it's just a little bit clearer and a little bit more comprehensible for people who may not be reading their Bible all the time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse I'm gonna read verse 12 too, okay? Can I can I read verse 12 too? For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, if we left it right there, this is tragically a bill of, uh, 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 of sin, a, a, a record of sin, a, a, a testimony of sin that would be against us with no reprieve if we understood that the eyes of him who we must give an account there's nothing hidden in my life. There's nothing hidden in me. Nothing that I do is actually done in secret because it is not hidden from God. This would be a testimony against us if we didn't read the next three verses. 
You read the next three verses and it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace and to help in our time of need. So what does this tell you when you have an understanding that the eyes of him who we must give an account are always watching us? It says you need to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace in your time of need. You see, you don't need grace if you're never tempted. You need grace and mercy when you are tempted. You need strength in the midst of temptation. That's why he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Why? Because my natural tendency is going to be to sin. Why is everyone today in the church making excuse for sin? Because we are just following our natural tendencies to sin. And we are not taking sin seriously. We do not look at sin the way God looks at sin. And we definitely don't look at God like he truly is. Omniscient. Omnipresent. All powerful. Ready to judge the living and the dead. And one day. All the things that I think I'm keeping secret and hidden are going to be exposed for all to see at the great judgment seat of God. A couple more verses for cross-references purposes. I'm going to move this Bible out of the way. It's huge. Go with me to Job chapter 26, verse 6. Job 26, verse 6. <clears throat> Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. And if you want to talk about the grave and and destruction, that's fine. If you want to call that Shiloh, which is probably the word being used there, okay? Even the grave is not hidden from God. Destruction is not hidden from God. Go with me to Job chapter 34. We're going to read verse 21 and 22. For his eyes are upon the way of man and he seeth all his goings there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves do you understand workers of iniquity what is that that is those people who are trying to secretly sin and act as if God does not see them that iniquity is that deep down sin that we think nobody knows about. The stuff we think is hidden. He said, no one working iniquity can hide from God. No one. Go with me to Psalm 33. 
Psalm verse or Psalm chapter 33. We're going to read verse 13 through 15. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. Not only is God looking from heaven, he's actively involved in the hearts of men and women. Nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. Flip to the next page, Psalm 34. We're going to read verse 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ear are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against the, them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Look, if God wasn't paying attention to their sin, he wouldn't know who to cut off. His face is against them. In other words, not in a friendly way. He's their enemy. And he looks at them as an enemy. Let's keep going. Psalm 90, verse 8. Psalm 90, verse... Look, all this stuff's pretty heavy, okay? We don't... Well, I think we just sometimes we just need to go through some of these verses and remember that God is omnipresent and all-knowing. He's omniscient. Amen? Let's go over this again because sometimes you look, it may not be anybody in this room, but I doubt that anybody in this room has something that they don't let anybody else know about. Okay, I just have a sneaking feeling that everybody in this room is like everybody else out there. We all got things that God's working on. Amen. That we're all on a walk of sanctification. Now some of these sins we might classify as big sins. Some we might classify as little sins. But once we understand sin is sin. And all sin is treason against God. Then we can understand that we all have work to do. And this all applies to us. Amen. Psalm 90 verse 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. What did Jesus say in John 3? Let, uh, I'll go to John 3 here in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Jesus in John 3 was talking about those who love darkness don't want to come into the light because their deeds will be exposed as evil. Amen. That's why men and women, even saved men and women, kick and fight in sanctification. We still have an old nature that says, no, I want to hold on to that. Why do I have to let that go? And we may not even be doing it consciously. We may, we may not be willfully going, I want to hold on to that. But deep down, our sinful nature is going, oh, I want that. Amen? Go with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 139. Now, we could read all of 139 because the whole thing is about this. But for the sake of time, I picked three verses out of it, okay? 
I could read the whole thing applies. The whole Psalm 139 is talking about this subject in one fashion or another. But it's talking about God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his being everywhere and knowing all things. Seeing all things. Amen. So verse 3. Thou compassed my past and my lying's down and are acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Now skip down to verse, um, eh, let's, I, I kind of, verse 2, I guess I could have read, thou knowest my sitting down and my uprising, thou understandest my thoughts afar off. So not only is God seeing his ways, come on now, his path, his lying down, his being acquainted with all his ways. And not only does God hear what comes on his tongue and knows what he's going to say before he says, before he says it, he knows his thoughts far off. When you read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 when it says there is nothing, no creature Hidden from his sight. All things are exposed and laid bare. It means all things. Verse 11. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Verse 12. Yea the darkness hideth not from thee. And the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are, are both alike to thee. Wow. And you go on and read about him possessing his reins. And what does that mean? God is in control. Okay. Of the very course of his life. Amen. This is the God of the Bible. Not some weak God that's just kind of passively watching you do the you know just turns a blind eye and just oh doesn't see your sin that's not what the bible tells us that's not even the thought that you get in the new testament how can you have first corinthians or i mean second corinthians where he says what is the what fellowship has light with darkness or the or the temple of God with, with Belial or Christ with uh, Belial or, or the believer with the unbeliever. What fellowship do they have? The answer is they shouldn't have any. Amen? And to have that kind of fellowship and believe that God is unaware of it is a very foolhardy endeavor by Christians to say the least. And they have forgotten that God is all that we're reading about right now. Amen. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You need to underline that verse and make sure you remember it. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the the evil and the good. Verse 11. Hell 
and destruction are before the Lord, how much more than the hearts of the children of men? Remember, we're talking about there's nothing hidden from God's sight, right? That's what we're talking about. Jeremiah chapter 20. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now we can go to Jeremiah 23, verse 23 and 24. Jeremiah 23, verse 23. I am a God at hand, saith the Lord, not a God afar off. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Question mark, saith the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord. God is everywhere all the time. His eyes see both the good and the evil. He knows all of our ups and downs, our goings, our comings, our paths laid before him. He knows our heart. He knows the words we're going to say. Yet we're still foolish enough when we're tempted by sin to believe that God doesn't see me. Do you see the error in our thinking? Do you see the error in especially in, 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 you know, and I know there's not a whole bunch of people out here saying, oh, you can just sin as much as you want to, but there are people saying that you can do this sin and that sin and this other sin, and God's okay with it, but the Bible says, woe unto them who call good evil and evil good. Woe unto them who put light for darkness and darkness for light. We should not do that. Turn with me, if you will, to John 2. Well, we don't need to go read John 2, 20. Yeah, we can go read it. I told you we would, so let's do it. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. This is Jesus, or uh, yeah, this is uh, John telling us about Jesus being able to know the hearts of all men, right? Now, when he was in Jerusalem and passed over, in the feast day, many believed in his name, but he, but they saw the miracles, when they saw the miracles he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knoweth all men, and need not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in a man. Amen? Jesus knew what was in every man. He didn't need to be told, hey, this one is this, and that one is that. Why? Because Jesus is God. John 4. John chapter 4, verse 16 through 19. I want to put this in here for just a minute because this shows another example of Jesus' omniscience, okay? His all-knowingness. 
Jesus said unto her, Go and call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that you said truly. Nothing hidden. Not even right now. That woman didn't wait for judgment for her sin to be exposed. And as a matter of fact, when every single person came to faith in Christ, what they understood when they came to Christ was that God knew your heart. God knew that you were a sinner. He knew that you were wicked, sinful, depraved, and in need of a Savior. And when you came to Him, it's because you knew that now for yourself that you needed Him. And then somehow in our walk with Christ and our refusal into sanctification, we, we pretend as if the same Christ that knew my heart before, now suddenly it's hidden from him. And he doesn't see the deeds that I do. Go with me to John 21. I'm almost done. Can I get an amen? John 21, verse 17. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Wow. Peter's like, why are you asking this question? You know everything. Right? You know I love you. And he also knew that Peter was going to be led away when he's old to a place he didn't want to go. Amen? And he told him that. And it happened. Lastly, and go to Revelation 2.23 and I'm going to close. Revelation 2 23 Jesus is speaking he said and I will kill her with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts and I will give to every one of you according to your works So why did I read all this? Why did I make the effort to read all these scriptures and really just lay it out here? Because there's a real reality that we're facing in our day and age where not only is the view of God low, they've, they've taken God down here and they've taken sin down here. The problem with this is this. Sin is very serious. And one of these days, every one of us are going to die and give an account. Every one of us are going to open our mouths before God and give an account for every idle word that was spoken. The great confessions, the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, the Larger Westminster Catechism, and I'm going to pull out the 1689 London Baptist Confession just for a moment. 
great catechisms when you read them. I'm going to read paragraph one of God and the Holy Trinity. It says, the Lord our God is but one living and true God whose substance is in and of himself infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, who hath immortality and dwelling in light which no man can approach, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, uh, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. For his glory alone, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. I want to read chapter, uh, paragraph two. It says, God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing of need, in need of any of his creatures which he hath made, nor de deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is alone the fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever he pleases. In his sight all things are open and made manifest. Now this part right here where it says all things are open and made manifest. Every catechism, every confession has this verse cited. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. There is nothing hidden from God's sight. Why? Because he's God. And if anything could be hidden from his sight, then he wouldn't be God. He would not be all-knowing. He would. Do you realize that his omniscience, him knowing all things, and his omnipresence, him being everywhere all at the same time, means that nothing could be hidden from his sight. It would be absolutely impossible for God not to know and see and hear all things whatsoever that took place. Amen? So my warning, my, my reason for doing this tonight is the same reason that the book of Hebrews gives. He says, seeing that the word of God is living and active and it exposes the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And that God himself is looking upon you. And every deed that you do in the flesh, run to him. Run to the throne of God for grace and mercy in your time of need. Because friends, that's the only place that you will find refuge from the judgment of God is in Christ. Amen. There's only one way. And it's through him. Now, we don't walk in obedience and we don't mortify the deeds of the flesh out of some sense of obligation. 
We do it for several reasons. I'm going to name them and we're going to close. Number one, we do it out of a fear of God, a holy fear. Not in a way I'm scared, but I'm absolutely terrified of the outcome if I don't live unto God. Amen? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen? The fear of the Lord, what does that mean? I see God for who he is. Amen? Number one, if you see God for who he truly is, you're going to walk in the fear of God. And your heart then, knowing what God did to save wretched sinners, it will cause and birth in you a longing to please God and to do what God says. Because the grace of God doesn't just save you. Titus tells us that the grace of God that appeared unto all men teaches us to deny worldly pleasures, deny ungodliness, and to live upright, holy lives in this present age. Nothing's hidden. You might think you got away with it. You might think it's swept under the rug. That idle word that you repented of still going to be there okay it's it god won't remember it against you but it's there and god saw it that one that you didn't repent of that you think oh god forgave me last time it's still there god saw it amen we need that kind of rep you know, people want revival. They want, oh, I want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want revival. But it's not going to come in the form of flopping around on the floor that doesn't lead to actual holiness and actual lives that are changed and living toward God. That's real revival. Revival is when God's people truly believe God's word and truly live their life to God. That's revival. How many of you want that? Guess what? It starts with you and your walk, your sanctification. That's God's will. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is living and active, God. Sharper than any, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, I thank you that I don't preach this message, God, with a pitchfork in my hand pointing anybody else's sin out, God. I point, I'm pointing to me and my life and understanding that even in me, even those secret things, God, that I try to hide, God, are not hidden from you. God, I say this for the benefit of your church. I say it for the benefit of those here in this room, those who are watching on Facebook, God, that they would know, that they would turn, that they would flee their youthful lust, God, that they would flee fornication, that they would flee all these lusts of the flesh and mortify them as your word tells us to do as believers. God, we come to you tonight. We come boldly before your throne of grace, needing grace, needing mercy, 
in our hour of need. God, I pray that you would consecrate our hearts for a new understanding of who you are. That you, ha you are always watching everything that goes on in our life. There is nothing hidden from your sight, God. Forgive us, God, where we have failed you. Forgive us where we constantly trip and fall over those sins that do so easily beset us. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us and help us to lay aside those weights and those sins and run with patience the race that is set before us. That our lives would be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. That we might glorify you in our life. Lord, we pray that you would glorify Christ in us and in your church throughout all generations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.